0: Hello, friends. I'm your host, Paul White. You're listening to the Deeper Daily Podcast for the 31st day of January. Today, we present to you what we do every month on the final day of the month. We read our essay edition. So here is the DDP essay edition for January 2022. As a lifelong believer in Christ, I am convinced of the miraculous power of God. I've seen my share of the inexplicable, and while someone is always ready to provide a plausible reason for things, I am convinced that not everything needs a reason. I believe in the miraculous because I believe there are things that cannot be explained, and thus they fall into the purview of God alone. I also believe in the gifts of the Spirit and that there are as much in operation today as the Holy Spirit is. The extent to which the Holy Spirit has ceased to function is exactly how ineffectual I believe things like tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, or the gifts of healings to be. In short, he still works, so they still work. If I believe in the miraculous and the gifts, then I cannot help but believe in the power of dreams and visions. We can't always mine out their source, and we also cannot explain them away. That doesn't make them miraculous, but it does make them capable of the miraculous. Like Paul McCartney dreaming the melody to yesterday. Sometimes dreams are like a gift. And if it's good, it's God. And if it's God, there are no limits to how he does it or why. The Bible is full of dreamers. Jacob dreamed of a ladder that came down from heaven with angels ascending and descending. Joseph dreamed of a sky full of stars bowing down before him. Ezekiel had a vision of a wheel spinning within a wheel, what he called visions of God. John had an extended vision on Patmos, and Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, had multiple dreams that led to the safety of his family. Dreams and visions are promised upon the arrival of the Holy Spirit upon the earth, and the promise is no respecter of persons. Men and women, the young and the old, and even those with low social standing are all included in the promise that God will speak to the earth through the invisible, through the sublime. I like to think that when I'm preaching, I am relaying the voice of God for the moment through the text and directly into those who have ears to hear. I realize that sometimes that's either naive or wishful thinking. While you're unlikely to find anyone who believes in the power of the spoken word of God any more than I do, I know that our opinions, ideas, and doubts pervade our preaching and teaching. Therefore, we can't trust that everything we teach and preach is somehow the direct voice of God. For that, people need to tune their ear and listen to what the Father says to them individually, assured that whatever it is, it will have the Spirit of Christ behind it. With that attitude, preaching that highlights life and points to the liberty found in Christ will always find receptive hearts. Well, this is as close as we can get to a public hearing of the voice of God. Since I believe in the miraculous and the gifts and dreams and visions and the spoken word of God, I cannot put limits on how God does what he does. I want to have a guidebook of sorts, something that says, If it looks like this, it is God. But if it includes this or that, run, it isn't God. There are obvious cues like looking for Jesus or hearing things that bring more death than life. We run to or from these voices as we should. But there's no manual that says God will speak through the sermon before he speaks through the song. For that matter, there's no guarantee that God will speak at the chapel before he speaks at the concert, or the bar, or the middle of the field. I think that there are times when God intervenes in the affairs of men to promote the spread of his kingdom on the earth. We don't actually spread the kingdom. Its spread is irreversible thanks to Jesus. We do implement its characteristics in our own little corners of the world and its qualities work. When we love our our neighbor and pray for our enemies. We aren't just experimenting in kindness. We are living the kingdom. And if we think the kingdoms of the earth are to ultimately become the kingdoms of our God, then living the kingdom takes priority for us. But I have wondered if sometimes our pace is too slow, even for the notoriously slow spreading kingdom of God. God's interventions are rare unless we count the times that he reveals himself to us so that we change and then create his change on the earth, I'm talking about the moments where God seems to step in and deliver the divine through something like a dream or a vision, the contents of which spark a change that helps light the world. Let us consider a story from history and how God's ways are always superior to our ways, even if it takes us a while to figure that out. In the years leading up to the American Civil War, the most hotly contested and debated subject in the country was the spread of slavery. Most Americans had learned to accept slavery as a part of the existing landscape, but were torn on the future of the institution in an ever-expanding country. Would slavery move west with the pioneers? Would future states be allowed to decide for themselves whether they would enter the Union as slave or free? Would these decisions shift the balance of power in the already fragile halls of Congress? Well, there was also the argument that slavery should be abolished entirely, even within the existing states of the South. Pulpits supported both sides of the argument, with Southern preachers citing both Old and New Testament verses regarding slavery in positive terms. Other ministers did not see it that way at all and used their sermons to paint a picture for the future where all would be totally free. One such minister was Henry Ward Beecher, the son of a Presbyterian minister and the pastor of the Plymouth Church in Brooklyn, New York. Henry preached the good news of love and was persuaded that happiness was God's ultimate design for humanity. By the mid-1850s, Beecher was the most famous preacher in America, with his printed sermon sales in the tens of thousands. When Congress passed the Fugitive Slave Act, which prohibited the assistance to fugitive slaves, Beecher shifted gears and began to preach of a battle that was to be fought, one that, he said, if we are wise, it will be bloodless. Beecher drew the battle lines from his famous pulpit each week, with the characters becoming starker and well-defined. On the one side are representatives of civilizations— On the other, of barbarism. On the one side stand men of liberty, Christianity, industry, arts, and of universal prosperity. On the other are the waste and refuse materials of a worn-out slave state population, men whose ideas of society and civilization are comprised in the terms a rifle, a horse, a hound, a slave, tobacco, and whiskey. He called them out for having just enough religion to enable them to find out that the Bible justifies all the immeasurable vices and wrongs of slavery. Beecher quoted the book of Revelation, saw the conflict on the horizon as being that which brings the blood to the horse's bridle, and prompted his congregation to give money towards the purchase of guns, even if bought at the price mentioned by our Savior, he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. I wonder if it ever crossed Beecher's mind that he might be arming Scripture in much the same manner as the defenders of slavery were. As his passions increased and his fame grew, Beecher commented that the present conflict insisted that a single sharp rifle was now worth a hundred Bibles. When Kansas anti slavery groups opened their cases of rifles bought by the congregation of Plymouth Church, they were famously referred to as Beecher's Bibles. The minister of happiness and good news was rightfully tackling the most pressing issue at hand, but his wranglings with the text was putting him on violent ground. Preaching works, but preachers can get in the way. Here, in this moment, is where I think God intervened. If the name Henry Ward Beecher sounds a little familiar, it might be because he had an older sister who married a man named Calvin Stowe. Harriet Beecher Stowe wrote the best-selling novel of the 19th century, Uncle Tom's Cabin. Her book did more to win people to the anti-slavery cause than all of her brother's sermons, and its source is nothing short of miraculous. Stowe believed that her book was written by a higher power. She claimed that she did not even write it, but simply put down what she saw in a series of visions. When she lost her 18-month-old son, She had experienced a profound sympathy with the poor and the powerless and sat down to write a story about slavery. From there, the visions began. And her talent for storytelling, she wrote some 30 novels in her life, took over. When characters in the story died, she claimed that she cried, powerless to stop the deaths, because it is what the visions told her to do. Sometimes, she lay her pen down for weeks at a time, unable to continue due to her own sense of loss. What the sermon could not do, the pen did. Legend has it that when Lincoln met Stowe, 18 months after Fort Sumter, he remarked, so this is the little lady that started this big war. I propose that war wasn't entirely necessary. It seems that God gave a vision of loss and pain meant to stir hearts to action. Unfortunately, the kingdoms of this world cannot always land where they should without the shedding of blood. Over 600,000 lives later, slavery in America was no more. Whatever the causes and consequences, good came from the bad. This is not to say there could not have been another way. In fact, that is precisely what I insinuate. I do not have a true landing spot for this month's essay. I don't need to convince you of the ills of slavery or to provide social commentary on race relations. I didn't write this to review history or extol novels or sermons. I simply wish to work something out on paper with you, this idea that God can and does intervene through the mighty and the miraculous. I say this as a minister, one who hopes that God speaks through my every sermon, but one who has come to realize that he can, and often does, speak through whomever or whatever he desires. I suppose, in the end, I simply hope we will all listen carefully to the sermon, the song, or maybe even the novel. If God speaks through the donkey, perhaps he still speaks through the ignorant, the uneducated, and the outcast. Maybe when he intervenes, it is to show us the way of the divine, what could be. So dream on. The kingdom might be talking. Grace to you.